Hello and welcome to Galactica Actually. I am Jamie Smith. <laughs> My co-host is... You pause. We haven't done this in a while. Um, yeah. A. Diallo Jackson. We need to get back <laughs> into our flow. Yeah. So we were off for a few weeks. It wasn't supposed to be this long. It was a scheduled time off for me to celebrate my boyfriend's birthday and Diallo went to Comic-Con and we had an episode in the bag talking about this episode, season two, episode eight, final cut. And when I was editing it and I saved it, it did not save and I lost the files and now we have to try again. So that's why we've been gone for a few weeks. And um, this is where or, we are now. Do or do not, there is no try. <laughs> so there's that. <laughs> so because we lost our original recording and we're going to go back and try to discuss this again, this may be a little less scene by scene and a little more just talking about the episode as a whole because it's really difficult for us to sort of recapture or recreate what we did, which was now like a month ago. Yeah, it was a month. Um, yeah, we, I don't even, like we were talking offline, I don't even remember, like we might cover things that we already covered, but then not remembering that we covered them before. Yeah. So it yeah. just kind of makes sense to have a more general conversation about this episode. Yeah, and we didn't want to skip it, like, Diallo is a completist, so there's that, which I am as well, but also this is a big episode because of the introduction of Deanna Beers, and we didn't want to just say, like, well, that's a lost one, and we're just going to chalk it up to technology, whatever, and move on to Flight of the Phoenix. We're going to come back here and give Deanna her due, because she made a really great impression on both of us when she appeared back in 2005. And on the production crew. Yeah. She kept coming back. Yes. So I do know that we had discussed that she had originally auditioned, um, just did a general audition, or maybe they asked her to come in to play Ellen, and she said, I don't want to play someone's wife. And so she turned it down, and that obviously went to Kate Vernon, which was the right choice. But then they brought her back for this, which she was much more interested in doing because she gets to play a Cylon, and she has a much juicier role. Not that the Ellen role isn't juicy in its own way, but this is she just didn't want to be someone's wife. And often those characters get sort of sidelined. Yeah, it's, um, I mean, especially around that time, like, she was, you know, top of the world, coming off of a few years off of Xena, I think, and I think she just wanted something a little bit more substantial, I guess. Yeah. Or, yeah, I mean, she led her own weird, goofy-ass syndicated show for a long time, so to come in and just, like this is recurring and I don't think it was about not being a series regular. It was about having a character to work with. Mm -hmm. 
and she's a much stronger character just self-determining and whatever yeah. I just even even like without the knowledge that she's a Cylon um in this episode you definitely I like the character like I th- I think that she could be like Lois Lane like this is how I like I view Lois Lane you know what I mean yeah so yeah she just kind of like take charge and um a little spunky and and that was something that we talked about in our previous recording that neither one of us suspected through this entire episode until the reveal at the end that this character was a Cylon. Yeah. She, Uh, my impression of her, um, I feel like the Cylons, there's something about them where we already suspect them. If we don't know already, like when mm -hmm. we meet Leo Ben in the, is that in the mini series? Yeah. The mini series. Yeah. He, He's not, he doesn't feel trustworthy. He feels like he's up Mm -hmm. to something. He feels off. And in the same, to an extent with Doral, where he's just around a lot and he seemed a little interested in things that a reporter maybe wouldn't be, or not a reporter, uh, sort of, what was he like, a PR person? Yeah, Um, it's like a media guy or something. Yeah, like he wouldn't, he just seemed to be around places where, I wasn't sure that he should have been. And when it was revealed that he was a Cylon, it didn't surprise me. But with Deanna, she comes in like a reporter and like this specific kind of reporter. One who is like a little pushy, a little edgy, not really following the like press corps kind of thing, but like, wanting to dig into a story this i think in my notes i said that she should be working for like vice or something mm-hmm. you know like this different kind of reporter and then she has this whole look that doesn't look like the other cylons or her hair is a little a little punk rock her makeup is a little punk rock you know her her styling her clothes is all just a little like very modern mm-hmm. um she looks like that kind of reporter. Yeah. And so it was completely believable. And then when it's revealed at the end of the episode that she's a Cylon, I was just like, holy shit. Yeah. I mean, it wasn't even on the table. Right. Right. Like the only other, the only other shock was, uh, Sharon really. And it kind of maybe in the same, same fashion, um, was revealed in the last few seconds of the episode when you, like when we found out about Sharon, the same thing here. Like we, there was no, there was no point where it, there was ever any kind of like discussion, um, even visually on the table that there was like, what's the nature of this person? You know, um, like when Simon comes on, it's like, uh, you know, I was, I didn't, I, I didn't not think he was a Cylon. I didn't think he was a Cylon, but I did not think he was a Cylon. <laughs> Cause because he, he seemed like, up to something. Yeah. Yeah. So. And what she seems up to it doesn't seem like Cylon business. What yeah. she seems like she's up to is that she's trying to sort of not necessarily undermine what's going on on the Galactica, but expose, like show that they're not like as trustworthy as, you know, they're supposed to be or, you know. Well, the thing that I think is so brilliant about her character in this, and I, I remember, I think I ranted about this once in the recording before, I think, um, is that 
She actually serves as a, um, she actually upholds what they're doing. Like on a, like on a moral level, she serves the, the fleet and the, the crew. She helps them come together. She actually solves a mystery. Yeah. Um, she doesn't, she's not there to sabotage anything. She, um, and she actually helps to bolster their, uh, the morale of the fleet. Mm-hmm. And there's no like there, there's n- there's nothing that she does in this episode, like as, as far as they're concerned, the fleet's concerned that like like does anything to undermine them, and so that that's what's so fascinating about it. And like I think you said before about how she is the information gatherer, yeah, and that's all she that literally that's all she do- she's doing, and that's what she does. So she gives the information to this uh silence at the end and it's actually kind of like it was it wasn't it was fortuitous for her in the first place because the uh you know adama and those guys came to her so you imagine she was probably just sitting in her ship the whole time just hanging out um this uh, you know this past season and a half (laughs) um and so it wasn't like she was like running around the fleet trying to like plant bombs or landmines or she's just kicking it you know um yeah you're that's a good point like her getting invited because she you know she keeps putting out these videos and uh, you know specifically in this episode we're seeing her editing her footage of what happened on the gideon because she got a a hold of you know some tape that was done on that and so she's sort of exposing this whole thing. And when she's brought to Rosalyn and Adama, he's like suspicious of her and thinks that she's trying to like undermine the military. And she's like, no, like this thing happened on the Gideon, this massacre. And he's like, it wasn't a massacre. No one would call it that. My Marines don't call it that. And she's like, well, they're not talking to me. They're not, they're not responding to my request for an interview. So she's like trying to get to the truth of something. I don't know mm-hmm. what her like Cylon purpose of that is, but once yeah, man, she... that's a... I just I, it's like she doesn't have one. It's like she literally is just there to do her job. <laughs> so kinda, then, you know... getting invited on the Galactica is, is like you said, it's like really fortuitous because now mm-hmm. she's getting these sort of what seem like really banal and boring tours of. Mm-hmm. the ship but she can take that information back to the cylons mm-hmm. as we find out later like she can go back to them and say like this is what their co2 scrubbers are and this is where this is and this is you know this is what the cic looks like this is mm-hmm. what their information center is this is what their hangar bay looks like she's getting all of this intel that they don't yeah. even realize they're giving her they think they're just giving her sort of a boring tour of you know the pantry and whatever mm-hmm. but she also gets to know some of the key players and that information is useful to them as well but none of this was like necessarily her mission unless her mission was to make enough of a name for herself throughout the fleet that they have to respond to her and they have to give her something you know, it's kind of interesting that you're talking about that, and I'm I'm thinking a little bit about um, just like the the 
path the Cylons go on. Um, in some ways, she um, helps to, she could have helped to humanize, <laughs> no pun intended, uh, humanize the humans for the Cylons. Um, because, you know, we start to see a little bit later how the Cylons start to change their plans and they're starting, they're trying to like come up with different ways to approach, you know, they, they realize they've made mistakes in, in their path. And, you know, I'm thinking about the scene with, um, Apollo and Starbuck on the hangar deck when they're, he's like, we got to get, you know, we got to put the pilots up, you know? Um, and from the outside, it would just seem like Apollo is this, you know, like, I mean, for lack of a better word, a machine, right? He's, 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 uh, we don't see him as like a full, like, or they wouldn't see him as a full human being, right? Um, but then you see the way they interact, you see his insecurity, his unsureness, his, like, the, the stress that they're under. Like, they see, they could see all of that stuff and just kind of, like, see them a little bit more clearly and not in a way that, they're like, oh, we could exploit this. It makes actually a faction of the Cylons want to work more with them. And we actually kind of see that a little bit later. When, um, it's not in a healthy way, but in New Caprica, right? So so you're talking about after after Kat like, flips out because her Viper is not, like, Chief yeah. is looking at it and it hasn't some kind of problem and he finds the problem. He can't get her up in the air and Starbuck mm -hmm. is like, I'm going to take her out of the rotation. And Apollo's like, yeah, but we can't because we don't have enough pilots. Mm. Right. And yeah, like it totally humanizes the fleet for the fleet. Mm -hmm. Like it humanizes these, these pilots and these marines for the fleet but it also humanizes these humans for the cylons like they're going through i don't think the cylons care um it probably actually is to their benefit if these pilots are tired and on drugs because they're not going to be as sharp but you know to some of them it shows a, you know they're just they're not all bad. Like, you know, the Cylons see the humans as the enemy. Uh, they're, they're just like a monolith other, right? Yeah. And so once you start to see them as individuals and with their own hopes and cares and dreams and their own problems that are often relatable to what you're going through, you start to kind of soften to them. And, and again, it's not to say like, you know, again, the Cylons as a monolith don't care, but... Cavill probably doesn't care, but, you know, there are some models that are on Caprica as we speak that are starting to care, mm -hmm. you know? So that's, that's kind of what I'm saying. Um, yeah. so it helps like she, she, and, but it's not like she, she makes the video and it's not like, she, it's not like that was her intention for the, for the Cylons either. But I think that's also, it was like a byproduct of that partially, not fully. Yeah, so let's talk about some of the things that she gets to see because the story sort of weaves in and out of her going around interviewing people and getting, you know, sort of realistic, like natural documentary style interactions with people. And in between all of this, we're seeing some stuff going on with Ty. So we'll come back to the Ty stuff. 
<laughs> it ties in, no pun intended, it no, ties no into pun. what's going on with Deanna and what kind of footage she's getting. And she's time instrumental. <laughs> but um, basically, Deanna has free reign on the ship. Um, Adama has the right to basically veto certain aspects of her footage. He gets he gets final approval. She I guess he gets final cut. If we're gonna steal the name of the episode. <laughs> um but so she's going around interviewing some people. She starts out on this tour with D. She doesn't seem all that interested in getting like the official tour of the ship. She really wants to get to know some of these people. And we have a scene with Starbuck and Apollo in the officer's quarters where they're like, he just got out of the shower and they're discussing this death threat against Ty, which we'll come back to. And um, when Deanna comes in, she follows Cat and Hot Dog. They run in there. We see Paladino in a bunk and Cat is like, playing it up for the camera and Apollo yells at her, but then like immediately tries to calm down and like play it off. Like he's, you know, uh, nothing bothers me. I'm cool. Right. Yeah. And he's completely uncool. He's so awkward. <laughs> um, he says his name is captain Lee Adama com- commander of the air group. That's pronounced CAG. And I suggest you find yourselves an exit as soon as possible. That's pronounced ASAP. And what a, what a dork. <laughs> Deanna is all of us because she rolls her eyes as she leaves. But then that gives her kind of an idea of like, this is what Leah Dama is like. And he talks about how like, you know, these, this is the one place where my pilots can be themselves and they don't need to have a camera filming them. And I totally get that. Um, I think later he's interviewed and she says something like, do you think that they deserve, what is, how does she, how does she word it? Yeah, I can't quite remember what the phrasing was, but he says yes. <laughs> to, yeah, to, like to the that question. they deserve like better, you know, consideration or whatever. And he's like, yes, they're putting their lives on the line every single day. So yes, they deserve respect. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it was respect. And like... Both of these, these, this is all Lee. Like we see a lot of Lee and how uptight he is and how he, even when he thinks he's being funny, he's not, he doesn't seem to have much of a sense of humor. He doesn't seem to know his, you know, love interest Starbuck at all. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, I have a note here about how he seems to act like she's beneath him. Mm-hmm. In intelligence as well as you know like literally like a rank below him and stuff he just treats yeah. her in a way that is like she's just not as good as he is the whole interchange with the uh quoting of the um poem or whatever yeah. it was yeah like you wouldn't know about that he, he basically right. says to her and then she finishes the whole thing and yeah it's from like memory just the, 
Yeah, to even assume that makes him an a-hole. <laughs> right. Um, we get some fun little interviews or maybe not – fun's not the right word. The Gata one is fun. The D one, the D interview is very sad because she talks about like how her family reacted when she joined the military and how it – basically her father was really against it and they had a fight before – she left for the Galactica and then the Cylons attacked and she never got to make up with her parents before they died. And Gaeta, like this is all he's ever done in his life is work towards getting on a battleship. And now he's realizing like, this is all I know. And so he's trying to figure out who he is beyond that. So he like tries cigarettes and doesn't like them and gets a tiger tattoo. And I guess he's okay with that. And, <laughs> you know, we find out his first name is Felix and we find out that Dee's first name is Anastasia. Yeah. And those um, are, um, we, uh, the showrunner found that out too. Like he's, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> he had never named them, I guess. But, uh, Mark Verheiden, uh, the, uh, writer of the episode, uh, this was the one that, that kind of added those backs, little backstory elements to those characters. They weren't that they weren't fleshed out like that. Honestly, like it's so in character with what we already know of them, and what mm -hmm. we know of them later. Like it makes sense where both of these characters end up, knowing that this is kind of where they started, where Gata is frustrated with, you know the humans working with the Cylons, letting the Cylons sort of take over the ship in a way. And, and, uh, D like not handling the fact that earth isn't what they thought and making the decision for herself that she does like these little interviews, I feel inform those actions later in a way that I'm not sure the showrunner considered in, as deeply as I'm considering it, but it just feels very much in character, like their growth, mm -hmm. because this is their trauma already. Yeah, and I mean when they when they came up with new things for the characters encounter, they I mean they were always really good about kind of making sure it made sense for them to go down the path they did. So yeah. Even if they hadn't planned for Duala to exit the way she did, you know, two and a half, three years later, um, it's still, like you said, it still lines up with kind of the makeup of who she is uh, because she's struggling to find something to believe in. Yeah. And uh, she had found something and then it was taken away from her. And, um, you know, not having the support of her. <laughs> Her husband uh, might have helped, <laughs> might have yeah. helped uh, her stay a little bit more stable. But anyways, we'll get we'll get there mm -hmm. much later. <laughs> we also have um, these couple hilarious scenes with Baltar. Starts out with Baltar like being the most inconspicuous person who might as well have a neon sign above his head saying, pay attention to me, me, please interview me, where he's sort of pacing back and forth in like a, you know, three-step radius, trying <laughs> to pretend like he's not paying attention to them, but really like trying to get their attention so that 
they'll interview him and then when Deanna finally does talk to him he's like oh no I'm very busy I'm gonna have to reach out to my my people and make an appointment and maybe I have time for you tomorrow but like right before this he's having this conversation with Six where he's basically like why isn't she asking to interview me I'm the vice president like what are you doing over there (laughs) (laughs) and then when when they do sit down for an interview he's you know being very baltar about everything and then the cylons some cylon raiders come into their hit the dratus and deanna and her camera operator take off immediately like you know this interview is over we got to go and so it's just really funny that all baltar wants in the world is attention yeah. <laughs> and she doesn't seem interested in giving him the attention that he wants when he wants it. And then once he gets it, she's like, oh, there's other things that are more important than you. Yeah. I did, you know, it, it, there is a little contrast for me in how previously when we've seen him talk to the media, he's very adept at it. Like, it's almost like that's his natural element. So it felt a little strange here in context to those moments, but it also seems to really line up with like Baltar and like how he is often. So it wasn't like a big thing um, because he is often strange and awkward. But when the camera turns on, I guess he, it's like, I think like you said, like he craves that attention. So it's kind of like he becomes who he, like, I don't know, always sees himself to be. He's incredibly insecure and also incredibly egotistical at the same time. Did we talk about the mask in the, on, the, <laughs> on this one or did we talk about it in the previous, uh, previous episode where I, think, I remember us talking about um, how he, he like Baltar, he's, he's, there's, he's an enigma to himself. Um, I think it was like a different episode. Um, but like he, so he, he, I don't, like so he's from Aralon and he has his past right and we don't find out about that till much 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 later um but i th- it's that insecurity about his past and that like craving attention and all that stuff he's like the smartest guy in the room but the way he carries himself is a part of his survival mechanism but it's a mask that he doesn't realize is there which is like the important part so every once in a while you actually see the real him come out um, and it's, you know, it's pretty interesting. Um, so, but he fumbles around a lot around those moments until he gets to that moment when he becomes himself and then he kind of turns it on. So when he's on national Caprica network or whatever it is in the miniseries, and when he's talking on, um, uh, the cloud nine, um, and he's kind of like in his element, you kind of see it's just kind of reveling in his intelligence. And then that's, that's when you get to like see the Baltar that I think he really kind of is. But then when he's in these other moments, he doesn't necessarily necessarily quite know how to navigate them. And he, that's when he gets to be his walking down the hallway. Oh, what are you doing over there? You know, that kind of thing. (laughs) Yeah, I think both are true. I think the Baltar that he presents when he's on camera or being interviewed, whether it's on camera or not, is what he wants people to believe that he is. He's really adept at slipping into that persona. 
But I think who he really is, is this guy. This guy that's like, why aren't they paying attention to me? But I'm the vice president. Why aren't they paying attention to me? Like, he's just so craving that attention. He's very good at keeping it once he has it and being very articulate and intelligent because he is intelligent. He's just, he's not, I don't think he, I think you're right. Like he just doesn't know who he really is because he's Mm -hmm. both of these guys and he needs to be able to merge the two, but his insecurities either about where he's from or whether or not people respect him you know, a lot of it's the. It, I did a lot of comparing him to Trump when I was rewatching this a couple years ago because mm-hmm. of. Not because he's a madman or um, evil, but it, it's also sort of the Cersei Lannister thing of like believing. <sighs> It's not as much the Cersei thing. It's it's these it's the massive ego and expecting respect because you are smart, because you have power, because you think you deserve people's respect instead of earning people's respect. When Baltar does good things, be, not to get praise for it, but because it's the right thing to do. That's when he ends up getting people's respect. But he spends all this time just expecting to have it because he's smart. Because he was the right person to ask to be a vice president against another guy who has a big ego. Like, he's not the vice president because he deserved that role. He's the vice president because he is charming enough to win over people in a way that would beat Tom Zarek. But he doesn't see it that way. He thinks, like, of course I'm the vice president because I deserve to be. I mean, I only see him as Trump in that they're both of the greatest presidents that ever. Oh, my God. (laughs) and that's our show everybody (laughs) so while i was away i adopted a whole new ideology um (laughs) no i compare him to trump in his in the like unwavering ego how his ego drives everything that he does and Mm -hmm. it doesn't matter who he steps on to get to where he thinks he deserves to be. And a lot of times he is not actually deserving of what he thinks he's deserving of. Like he, his ego determines every action he takes and that ego is driven by his insecurities. So it's, he's just a very complicated character. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I think, from I'm just, I'm, did you have something more to say? No, I was just going to say that I think Trump is the same way. He's incredibly insecure and incredibly egotistical at the same time. Yeah, I mean, I definitely see Trump as, I mean, it's sort of like psychology, right? Like, largely insecure, so he covers for mm-hmm. it. Um, the thing, the thing, I, I have a, there's a distinction for me between the two. Um, Baltar is far more sympathetic, but... yeah. We actually get to see what's going on in Baltar's mind. So, um, but I think the thing for Baltar is he doesn't necessarily see, he doesn't necessarily seek power 
like it kind of like situations find him um yeah and when he like he like because he's a, like that survivor thing he has like he'll slide into this role or that role but it's sort of like it's just like the self-preservation thing that he does that makes him end up like yeah, but he didn't even want to be the um vice president really right like he didn't want you know? to but um, once it was given to him he was like well of course of course i right, should be but that Right, but that's sort of the distinction I'm making. Is like he, but he did. It wasn't like he was seeking it out. Whereas for um, for Trump, I've always had the impression that the, like there's never enough. Right. So that it's... you can never fill the hole enough. So it's like he's he he like I'm gonna I'm I'm a businessman. Oh, I gotta be like I gotta be the. I got to be like the celebrity businessman. And then, you know, um, I've got to label everything with my name on it. I've got, I'm going to have this, this television show and I got to tell everybody it's the number one show. And then when that's, that's not enough. And then he starts to slip into politics and then it's like, Oh, I'm going to become, you know, it's like, there's never enough for him. Um, and so that, that, that's where I kind of, there's a distinction there between, and then Baltar is you, you often, like you said, you often see him doing, doing good things for people not often you <laughs> sometimes see him doing good things um it's like yeah, yeah i do see him having a heart and there's like there's there's less of a pathology there for 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 that character and obviously he's fictional so my comparison mm-hmm. is not a one-to-one they're not mm-hmm. perfect mirrors there's just elements in baltar's behavior that you know, rewatching this in 2018, we're very reminiscent of mm-hmm. behaviors that we were seeing happen. Um, mm-hmm. <clears throat> he's definitely much more sympathetic at times. And yes, we're in his head and he's a fictional character. And, you know, there's just like the Cersei Lannister thing where I would say Trump is a lot more like Cersei than yeah baltar that that's that definitely that definitely tracks because they're both <laughs> for me st- stupid think they're a lot smarter than they are and also believe every word that comes out of their own mouths um <clears throat> there's that scene when uh with with baltar I mean, we covered it with um it's in the uh, season finale when he um of season one when he taught when he's talking to um sharon about you know exiting right and it's a very dark scene, but there it's like in a lot of ways it's just like it's it's almost like he has this sense of like in his own way of doing right. Um and of course it's him, so it's dark. It was but... also him covering his own ass because if it comes out that she's a Cylon and he missed it, then we get to where we were with Ty being like, What the hell, man? I feel like that was a lot of what a lot of his motivation in that scene with Sharon was. Yeah, I don't think so at all. Really? Actually, I think that would have been a byproduct. That's definitely would have been a byproduct of it. I'm not saying that that wouldn't have happened. But in the actual scene, when he walks in, the way he is acting is there's there's a sense of morality there. He could have encountered it in a different space that he didn't. Um, so yeah, that's just how, that's, that was just my read on it. It definitely is dark. Not saying it's not. Yeah. Um, and Convincing also, someone yeah, they I'll... should like shoot themselves. <laughs> it's <laughs> not light. Yeah. And, it, but you know, because, because she's a Cylon, it like, it takes on this other, other, you know, yeah. realm of, 
of uh, talk, you know. But um, I think that's why there was like this sense of mercy around it because it, she was a Cylon. He also recognized that she had no idea that she was one. So there's this, there's this, there's this sort of like this feeling of sympathy around it, and it's like he's like, this is probably the best thing you can do. Yeah. You know? Um, anyway. So moving on from Baltar, there's a few more moments with Deanna. Um, we see her interviewing Racetrack. I don't think Racetrack said all that much worth commenting she said on. some very important things that I remember every last thing she said. Yeah? She's amazing. No, I don't. I, don't I know she says something <laughs> about how uh, you have to shut off your humanity. Mm-hmm. And then Hilo sort of echoes that, but says that it's not all that easy to do. Yeah. Um, and then the shot right before her, before she speaks, she's in the hallway, yeah. in the Hall of Remembrance, um, kind of remembering whoever it was that she you know, lost. Yeah. And then it cuts right to her saying that. Yeah. So. Um, we talked about Gata's interview. We'll come back to Ty. Uh, Deanna speaks with Starbuck for a little while. Starbuck is, you know, beating the hell out of a punching bag and she just asks her what she looks for in a pilot and Starbuck is like discipline, blah 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 and someone crazy enough to follow me into battle. And <laughs> I always wondered like once I knew Deanna was a Cylon, I wondered if she sort of sought Starbuck out to kind of see what all of Leoben's fuss was about. Mm-hmm. Um. Then there's some stuff with Sharon. I want to come back to. I just kind of want to wrap up the Deanna stuff. Deanna gets footage of Cat, uh, who had some trouble landing her plane, and then when she finally does land, she's pulled out of her Viper and she's a little bit bloody and she's screaming and. Turns out that she has stims in her that she's been taking, and they have to restrain her and take her to sick bay. And uh, when they're in sick bay, Deanna follows her and sees some stuff with Sharon, which also we'll get back to. And then she interviews Kat later, and Kat talks about how like there aren't enough pilots. We're all really tired. We don't get enough sleep, and you know, it's really difficult to be out there, you know, fighting Cylons or patrolling for Cylons. It's very exhausting. And like, what option do we have? Like, we have to stay awake. And so you get sort of a sympathetic side of of that. Yeah, she definitely, <laughs> the, the way they portray her. Like her, like I remember my notes. I was like, and I wrote down, "My girlfriend's hair is on point." <laughs> her yeah. hair was like all over the place. It was like frazzled. And then in the um, in the documentary interview, like you know, she 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 was having her Jesse Spano moment, you know, mm-hmm. in the tradition of Saved by the Bell. Uh, Alex B. Keaton on Family Ties had a little stint, and then uh, um, Carlton had a little episode. <laughs> With, with some drugs and flipped out. And so, uh, yeah, she definitely was like 
along those lines of uh, just not, you know, that whole thing. And she just couldn't handle handle the pressure. Yeah. Trying to find another way to deal with it. Well, I don't know. It's the pressure, but it's also, you know, the lack of sleep and the lack of downtime and the lack of, you know, anything other than being 100% focused on this is what we have to do. So I can I can sympathize with why she would turn to these stimulants, which, you know, she needs to stay sharp. But, you know, taking too many of them made her unable to land her plane and, you know, screaming that she can't feel the controls and, you know, crashing when she lands. Another thing that Deanna gets to witness is when these raiders appear on the Dreadus. It's only two of them. She goes to the CIC and her camera guy goes to the hangar deck. And what we experience instead of seeing the pilots out there is just hearing what they hear on the CIC, in the CIC. We're hearing mm-hmm. them talking to each other and fighting these Cylons out there. We don't know what's happening other than that. And she's asking D a lot of questions, which I thought was really interesting. Like that's the person that's been sort of guiding her around all day or however many days this has been. So that's something that Deanna feels comfortable asking questions to. And so she, you know, as we find out later, it's Cylon, but here she is like listening to them and watching them, how they handle this and capturing all of that on video while her camera guy is in the hangar bay capturing like the stress of everybody waiting to see who comes back, if everybody comes back or if they lose anybody. And I just think she handles it really well. And again, like it doesn't seem like she's a Cylon at all. There's just no hints. She, there's no pleasure or anything in her when she, you know, watches them be stressed or, Conversely, when the two Cylon Raiders get destroyed, there's no like inkling of her being like, "Oh shit, we just lost two of our of our pets." She just captures all of this stuff, and then when she gives all of this to Adama and Rosalind at the end of the episode, she sort of edited it together with the original Battlestar Galactica theme, which we talked about quite a bit on our last episode because I didn't know that that was the original Battlestar Galactica theme until Mm -hmm. I did some research for this episode. I just thought it sounded like almost exactly like the Galaxy Quest theme song. (laughs) And I'm over here having an aneurysm. (laughs) (laughs) I'm like, this is, this is iconic. What are you talking about? Yeah, yeah. I, like I said, I've never seen the original show, so I didn't know. Yeah. I just thought, like, it's wow, my, this like... is some, like, really cheesy, <laughs> patriotic-sounding music. <laughs> it's in my, uh, my like, workout playlist. <laughs> <laughs> like, the original, like, the original uh, Battlestar. Um, but, yeah, it was, uh, it was in the um, miniseries. It featured... Briefly in there when they were doing the flyby over uh, before Adama gives his speech and they were like kind of decommissioning the ship, they played it. So that was my first like Leonardo DiCaprio mm. um, pointing meme moment. But then 
this actually, when they play it here, it it feels so good just because it was kind of like the first real like solid Thai acknowledgement to the original show in a in like kind of like a meaningful way because like the this you know we watch the old show it's like it plays at the beginning of every episode and the end of every episode and it kind of features so it's very iconic in that way so it was like acknowledging that and like there was a they did a good way of incorporating it into the fabric of the show without making it like you know pandering mm-hmm. so, um, it felt, they play it um it felt very west wing never really watched west wing mm-hmm. so didn't speak on that but they they do play it um the only other moment i think i can remember them playing it is uh, at the very end of the show when um, they send galacticon its final send off um they play a hint of the thing the original theme so yeah i'll have to keep an ear out for that later yeah so we've skipped around it but let's go back to ty early on in the episode Ty is going over some stuff and he gets a message that something is wrong with Ellen. So he rushes to his quarters and he finds her all distraught and somebody has broken into their room and painted from the darkness you must fall on their mirror. And as discussed in our last episode, I was convinced that Ellen did this to get attention. (laughs) I would have bought it if that were the case. Yeah. It actually probably makes more sense than what happens, actually. So, I I mean, that. I don't know if it makes more sense than what happens, given what happens, but given what we know about Ellen, it made perfect sense to me that, like, you know, like any good soap opera or nighttime soap would tell you this person who is unsatisfied with being backburnered in any way will come up with schemes and plots like our dear Valerie Malone to get attention. I don't know if you watch 90210 as much as I did, but you Valerie I can't believe you question. <laughs> Valerie was such a schemer <laughs> in the best possible way. And speaking of like twists or I don't even remember her first episode because she was playing off of her like Saved by the Bell persona in that first episode. So she was like this do-gooder and everybody liked her. And then at the very end of the episode, it was like, no, she's evil. <laughs> <laughs> and it was like, oh, my God. I mean, if you yeah. go back and watch 90210 now, you'd be like, Valerie, girl, get some better friends. These people suck. But <laughs> like, she's. I mean, yeah. But, you know, so man, great. I've said this before. I've said this before on this show. Like, those are my favorite characters. Yeah. <laughs> On any show, it's like her, what's her name, uh, Heather Locklear on Melrose Plays, you know, that's, uh, what's it, Joan Collins on Dallas, like, that's our (laughs) dynasty, that's me, like, I'm I'm all about, I'm all about the ones that create havoc, Um, that says a lot that Ellen actually is not necessarily on that list for me. Ellen doesn't do it well, and she's just so... There's there's no fun to the shit that she pulls. It's just... And, like, I think we talked about it a lot previously in our last episode that what it seems with Ellen is that she is 
motivated by something that we can't really pin down. It seems to be that she's motivated mm-hmm. because she wants something she doesn't have. And mm-hmm. but like there's no true direction for that grasping. It's just she's jealous of Bill. She's jealous of Ty's relationship with Bill and she also wants power or wants more. She wants more than what she has. And there's no there's no way to feel sympathy for that character. There's also no like fun in what she's doing. So like a character like Valerie who also wanted stuff. Valerie just wanted money and wanted some kind of status. And we understood that about her. So the things that she did were like, I, I, I understand why, whether I'm getting joy personally because I like these kinds of characters or I don't is beyond is beside the point because it, at least we understood her motivations. And with Ellen, it's just like, mm-hmm. she just wants what she doesn't have, but she's not ambitious she's she's just she just nags her husband into doing stupid things yeah i think i might so like the it's part of it i think is like the stakes of the show um like if they weren't dealing with the serious things that they were dealing with i might go along with it a little bit more but it's like dude these people are trying to like literally survive yeah and and you're over here trying to like get a sweet on the cloud nine and <laughs> you know and it's like like it just it it seems extra vacuous or extra petty um and i can't i just can't co-sign on it so it, like it just registers as way more annoying than i normally would whereas you know like on days of our lives i'm like uh, Vivian Alamein, you're going to put Marlena in a, a cellar and lock her down there for like three months worth of episodes. I'm all in for that. <laughs> um, but for this, it's like, I'm just like, oh, come on. Come yeah. On, baby. You know? And then like, you know, when, when Adama was unconscious and Ty was in command, then Ellen is like, you're not you're not even doing command right. You're, you know, you are the boss. You are the one, you're the authority. So what you say goes and you should be doing something about this. And he's like, I'm trying to, I'm doing things the way things get done. And she's like, it's not good enough. You're not strong enough. You're not an alpha enough. And so he makes the decision to have a bunch of not Marines or Marines go onto the Gideon and keep them from holding things like coffee hostage. And that turns into a bloodbath where four people get shot or four Marines get shot. And, you know, I don't know if it's four or more people get shot. And so now he's in trouble for this in a way, you know, in like the public, the public opinion. And Adama is like, you know, things happen with military operations and we don't need to answer for that. However, we're going to send Ty to this delegation about the Gideon because I think that it would be a good idea for you to not be afraid of speaking up for yourself, standing up for yourself. When he, when Ty 
gets on a raptor to go to this delegation, it has been sabotaged and immediately catches fire and they're all hurried out of the raptor. He goes to his quarters and Ellen's like, someone's trying to kill you because of the Gideon. And he's like, I mean, these things happen sometimes. He thinks like it could have been a malfunction with the raptor. And she's like, no, it's what happened on the Gideon as if she wasn't the one who manipulated him into making that call in the first place. And he doesn't want to do the interview with Deanna and Ellen is pushing him to do that so that he can stand up for himself. And she's snarking about Adama being on a pedestal and you're not strong enough and we're all alone out here. And like, you know, what? It's kind of like, so, you know, going back to Game of Thrones, um, you know, Cersei, we see her maneuvering, right? It's like, I never, like, I never, before she gets to the position she's in, I never thought it would be a clown show when she got there. I didn't think it would be a good thing that she got there. Um, but I didn't think it would be a clown show. And I feel like with Ellen, like, the things that Ellen wanted, <laughs> like, we just, like, if she got Ty and charged like it just would have been not like train wreck is not even like the right word like it's literally a clown show would have been what it would have been if he had been in charge and so it's always like what is it that you want girl yeah exactly <laughs> you know it's like you don't really like you, you like no like you can't see that you have no business even trying to ask for these things you're not even competent enough to run like a ship or whatever but also she doesn't like she doesn't see her husband that like he doesn't he could say it to her face i don't want command that isn't what i Mm -hmm. want i don't want to succeed my commander and be the commander i don't want that it's like very self-aware of him to know that he doesn't want to be the leader he's a good number two and yeah. Being a good number two is very important. Where Cersei wanted power and knew how to maneuver herself and manipulate things to get to where she wanted to be, but she didn't understand politics. So when she got there, she didn't have time or the patience for the politics of the job. She wanted to just say, this is my way and we're going to do it this way because I say so and not factor in any of the people involved. Ellen's not thinking about the people involved either. She doesn't want to rule. She just wants the trappings of ruling. And then when Daenerys gets in there, she's like, F them bells. (laughs) We're not talking about (laughs) how they did my girl Danny dirty on that Mm -hmm. show. <laughs> they also did Cersei dirty. They did a. There's a lot of problems with the last few seasons of the Game of Thrones show, and hopefully we'll oh, you, we'll get some. You don't say. <laughs> hopefully we will get some resolution <laughs> and some better storytelling if George ever fucking finishes the book, which apparently he's working on now that he can't work on his TV shows. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, um, anyway, it's so funny. Like we're like. Ellen actually is probably like the most innocent <laughs> she's ever been. And we're just like finding ways to talk. Uh, yeah. <laughs> well, cause she's still being terrible. 
So then later, uh, after Ty's disastrous interview or almost interview with Deanna, where he does not want to be cornered about this stuff, he probably could have given an interview that would have been like politically passable. He knows how to give those answers in a very bland political way. And that would have been fine, but Deanna, you know, gave him some alcohol and pushed him a little harder than he was comfortable with. And he flips out, storms off, goes back to his quarters and is hit on the head from behind. And when he wakes up, he sees that Ellen is tied up and this guy Paladino is holding a gun over him. Paladino like pours his pours Ty's booze out and then holds a gun to Ty's head. And Ty takes accountability for his actions with the Gideon Mejito. I made that call and tells him to shoot him if he's going to. And Paladino can't. And so Ty takes the gun. He says that the Gideon was an accident and this is a choice. The guards come in because Deanna figured it out when she was editing that this guy, Paladino, was reading that book of poetry and brings the guards to Ty's room. So they take Paladino away and Ty tends to Ellen on the floor. She's just so distraught that this happened, even though it was all your fault. Not to victim blame, she did get tied up and whatever, but these are consequences for your actions too, Ellen. You pushed Ty to make that call. He was not going to send Marines to that ship to seize back the coffee. He was just mildly annoyed that they're holding the coffee hostage? Yeah, well, he needs it after all the after all his coming down from all his drinking. Well, sure, I would be upset if they held coffee hostage too. But that doesn't yeah. mean that I would send the cops in. You know he was serious about that interview um cuz he he knocked the drink over. Yeah. <laughs> Did he smash it on the ground? Also, that reminds me, uh I think I mentioned this in our recording before. Um if you anybody out there if you want to watch this episode um, and you get your favorite drink out if you uh, partake and um, drink every time they say, did you get that? Or get that out of my face. It. Yeah, <laughs> they say that a lot in this episode. <laughs> did you get that? Yeah. <laughs> um, oh, that was funny. So the last thing that we haven't <laughs> talked about is what happens with Sharon. So Hilo goes to see her in her holding cell and she's turned away from him the lights are off she's not responding to him and then she rolls over and she pulls her hand out from under the covers and it's covered in blood so she gets rushed to sick bay and there's something wrong with the baby we hear doc coddle saying i'm trying to save your baby and deanna gets all of this on camera because she happens to be following cat into sick bay so she takes that footage back to the cylons And when we see at the end, you know, these familiar heads from behind, we see Doral, Sharon, and Six watching the footage that that Deanna had cut together for the fleet. And then Sharon says, go back 
or no, she asked to see the footage that was cut. And that's when they get to see the stuff with Sharon. And this Sharon is like, oh my God, I'm still alive. And the baby is okay. And that's when we learn that Deanna is a Cylon. Because then the camera pans over and we see her smiling, proud of herself. And you're like, I'm so betrayed. I was just like, holy shit, I did not see it coming. Yeah, not at all. Yeah, it was a it was a great, um, you know, every time I watch it, you just kind of forget, at least in that episode, that she's a Cylon because she plays it so straight and earnest. She know, does. There's no, like, hint of any mystery at all for her. Yeah, and she even says things like, I'm really tired of you questioning my patriotism. And things mm-hmm. like that where it's like, damn, girl, you are committed to this role that you are playing right now. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, like she she plays the role of a, a dogged reporter, right? So mm-hmm. it's like that's who she is and we just we we don't ever and they and you know, they don't ever give you any like visual hints or lingering on, you know, any shots to make you question her loyalties because it's not what it not what it's about not what she's about um and you know so it just it the episode functions like it's supposed to which is it's to be sort of like this slice of life showing um the other side of galactica and like what are what are like even for the people they see but it's also for the viewers because we start to see the interactions between some of the characters and their acting way looking at it from a different perspective than we normally do sort of like of like on the inside which we normally are um and you know we just see these down moments really mm-hmm. get to see uh, on the show because everything's all, almost always so heightened yeah yeah so that basically is final cut um I have a couple of bits of trivia, one being that the guy who plays the camera operator for Deanna's camera operator was actually a camera operator, but also an actor. Um, I had, I talked about this before, but I asked my boyfriend while we were watching this episode for his thoughts on the camera work because I, and I didn't tell him, like, I knew this guy was a camera operator. And he said, well, he's definitely a camera operator and had all these reasons why, like, how he holds the camera. It It's obviously knowledgeable of, like, where your hands need to be to, like, you know, focus or pull focus or whatever. Um, I asked him what he thought of Lucy Lou, Lucy Lou, Lucy Lawless's, <laughs> Lucy Lawless's camera work and he said that she does a pretty good job but you can tell she's got her hand in the wrong place she wouldn't be able to focus um, he also told me that he bases how he lines shots up and how he like what he does as a camera operator on the way the camera is used in Battlestar Galactica not necessarily this episode, but Battlestar Galactica as a whole because it's shot very documentary style and he works in reality television. He said his goal is always if he can make his shots as beautiful as they are on this show. That's to him like the highest like peak of camera work. And I just thought that was really interesting and I would really love for Ron Moore to know that. <laughs> he 
inspired this guy to make, you know, Love is Blind look as beautiful as Battlestar Galactica. So. What season of Love is Blind? The first one. <laughs> oh, really? Mm-hmm. I think you told me that one. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean that's when Battlestar, Battlestar, <laughs> that's not, that's coming. not right. No, yeah. <laughs> um, when Battlestar first came, that was one of the things about it. I mean, because it was a very groundbreaking show visually, um, and it's not like in a special effects visually groundbreaking. It was just the approach that they had to it. Um, and so, yeah, that definitely might make sense um, that it would actually inspire people to um, approach their their work in a different different way. Yeah. yeah. Um, and then other trivia, um, originally Paladino was supposed to commit suicide in front of Colonel Ty, but the network felt that was too heavy, and I believe, often I don't agree with network notes, but that's a good note. That would have been too much. Um, the population count right now is 47,853, which is a loss of two since Home Part 2. And... At the end of the episode, the Cylons bring up the subject of having lost two raiders in order to relay the video, and it is later revealed in the episode of Scar that the raiders are normally capable of being downloaded into new bodies, just like the humanoid Cylons. So given that the Colonials have destroyed dozens, if not hundreds, of raiders at this point, it's implied that these two later raiders in question were not reincarnated making their loss worthy of being mentioned. And we know that from Scar, we know that they do get reincarnated because this one Cylon has a grudge. Yeah. It's one raider. It's all about it. Yeah. So well, I picked up, uh, I, on the commentary, uh, I picked up something that I had never noticed before. And even though I've watched leading up to the recording that we did before for this episode, I watched it multiple times to get like a bunch of information and I didn't get it. So it was like every time I watch it, I get something new. Um, and the director's commentary this time, I noticed that he, uh, Ron Moore was talking about, um, their, uh, so it's like, you know, Leah Dama, um, PFC, like, or whatever, like a uh, petty officer Duala, right? So it has petty officer initials at the end. So in this episode, a lot of they were talking to a lot of characters that had the stuff at the end, and he was actually going into what they actually stood for, because um, I guess people were asking. And he, he kind of he noted that some of them have an R at the end, and it meant that they were actually reserves. So, you know, just like in our world, um, some people are in the reserves um, so they're not like always active duty. And then he said, if you notice, uh, Apollo has an R at the end of his little tag thing. Um, and then he actually went into a little bit more of the backstory for Apollo, which I'd never, again, never picked up on before, but they were, they, he was just talking about, um, and it had a lot to do with like his relationship with his father. Um, he was a pilot. They said, I think he said he was a test pilot. He was really, he found out he was really good at it, but he didn't really, that's not really what he wanted to do. Um, and it was like, so he was kind of coming off the end of his little term um, prior to the events in the miniseries. So it wasn't that he was necessarily a career 
um, military officer either. So it's just a little bit more background character to him because he is uh, very awkward and he does a lot of job jumping mm-hmm. <laughs> in this show. Um, cause it's like, even in the show, he's like trying to figure out like what he wants to do and who he wants to be because he went into the military because, because of his father, but obviously, um, he wants to strike his own path. So it's a really interesting, uh, tidbit that I never in all my years realized or recalled. Yeah. That's interesting. Yeah. So, was Baltar the worst this week? No, he wasn't. No, I didn't think so either. Just said that he was annoying. Yeah. Who did you give full colors? Um, I think I think I made a case for Deanna last time, but um, but it was Apollo, I think. I gave it to Ty. The time for that scene at the end with how he handled Paladino, I thought was really good. Mm-hmm. Uh, who would you throw out the airlock? <laughs> Ellen. I said. <laughs> I said cat. <laughs> <laughs> it's so funny that like <laughs> the person that literally is betraying them, uh, Deanna. It's like no, she's fine. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Uh, but I'm gonna I'm gonna put the woman that got like tied up and was being terrorized. <laughs> she's <laughs> the worst. She's a terrible person. Um, Please don't cancel me. <laughs> <laughs> who is your favorite Cylon this week? Oh, it's Deanna by far. Yeah. Yeah, she's so good. Do we have any reviews? Well. T- I checked last time. Yeah. I- I think we had one. I don't know if that was that was the one the episode before this one. It's been so long. I I, I, I know. Was remiss my duties to actually prepare um, that portion. Um, so we did a uh, uh, CJS Bosox. We did that one. Yes. Before? Okay. Yeah. So that's the latest review that we have. Okay. So if you would like to review us now that we're back, please go to Apple Podcasts and give us a review. If you rate and review us, it helps us go up in the rankings. It helps people find us. I know we just took some time off and we're going to be taking a a week off again, possibly shortly because Diallo has to take a quick little trip. Um, Hopefully we can organize it that we record before he goes so that we don't have to skip a week again since we just took like three weeks off this has all happened before (laughs) (laughs) so if you would like to communicate with us though besides leaving a review on apple podcast you can get us on twitter i refuse to call it anything but twitter (laughs) it is at galactually podcast sorry it is at galactually pod on twitter if you want to give us more than however many characters that allows now, you can email us at galacticactuallypodcast at gmail.com. You can also find us on Instagram at galacticactually. We would love to be able to have all of our things with the same name, but Galactica Actually is too many characters for a Twitter handle. It's a lot. A lot of things are too many things for Twitter. Right now. <laughs> so. 
uh, maybe we're gonna get a Threads, maybe we're gonna go on whatever that new one is, Blue Sky or whatever, I don't know, we'll see. I do have a Blue Sky account, I just started a week or two ago. Oh, really? So maybe I can slip a, maybe I can slip a Galactica one in there for us. Okay. It's like uh, all beta and referral right at the moment. But oh, just, how'd you get in? You know, I, I run in circles. Oh, wow, wow, wow. Maybe yeah. throw me a referral. I'll throw you a referral, yeah. I've only, <laughs> I've, uh, I don't use it, but <laughs> I made the account. I mean, so. I'm, I'm bad at Twitter. I always have been if I wasn't like live reacting to TV shows or uh, award ceremonies. So uh -huh. I can... I can get better. I need to get better. Where can people find you? You can find me um, out in the ether um, on Instagram at the Armageddon. Um, I did. We talk about. I launched a. <laughs> I launched a Angel in the Dark. Finally, I think they. I think I launched it right after we did our first that recording that we didn't. No, uh, it was before like, that. You've yes. Oh, it was before that. Yeah. Um, so, okay, well, I did that. So, <laughs> so yeah, that's finally live. You can find that on YouTube, uh, under my, uh, burgeoning production company title called Forge Creation. Um, and the First Noel Chronicles, you can find at firstnoelchronicles.com and also on Instagram and also Boops of Life on TikTok and YouTube which is an inspirational uh, videos um, to help you uh, get through your terrible day. <laughs> <laughs> and we all have terrible days. It's, yeah, you know, our, our world's not as bad as the world in Battlestar Galactica, but it's not far off. <laughs> We're, <it's>, yeah. <laughs> so yes, any, any joy we can get from anywhere is appreciated. Yeah. Um, you can find me, my Twitter handle is it's Jamie. You have to spell my name, right? Um, I have an Instagram, which is, oh, hey, Jamie. And you can find my past podcasting work on the unspoiled network. I covered lost and band of brothers and doctor who and punisher and like four seasons of the vampire diaries. And then next week we have Flight of the Phoenix. Yes, sir. That's if you a... want to watch the show along with us, you have to have the Blu-rays or DVDs because it is not streaming anywhere. Yeah. It's insane. Yeah. But we are almost to the midway point of season two. Uh, maybe if you end up having to take a week off, it can coincide with where the season went on a hiatus for like six months uh, <laughs> between Pegasus and whatever the episode is after Pegasus. But I hope not because we just took a break. So yeah, I think it's still. I think it is available available for purchase on Amazon Prime. I think still, but that I mm. think that's the only place like in terms of like. Being able to like watch it on quote unquote in demand, um, but every other way you have to watch it is on physical media. So. You can purchase it on Vudu as well. Okay. But 
Uh, we don't know what's going to happen with streaming and streaming rights and all of that. So let's get back into physical media, guys, because that you buy it and it's yours. Yeah, I mean, I have my whole thing about that, too, but like, that's the best option for now. But it's not like when we were stuck, when everybody was stuck on physical media, they would always just change the format and make you buy it again. So... I don't think it's necessarily safe, safe either. But well, yeah, bit. I don't know where you go um, from Blu-ray, which is, yeah, I guess 4K. Yeah, if enough people start doing that again, that they'll they'll find a way. I think yeah. I, I think I saw Disney's going to stop uh, um, having Blu-rays in, I think, like Australia or something. Or are they going to vault stuff again? I think they're just going to stop making Blu-rays for oh. in that, at least in that country, and that just seems like it's so. They're they they've got their plans. They're still going to try to get their money from you, but right now, that seems to be the best way to do hmm. it. So. Wow! Force everybody to get Disney Plus. Yeah, I don't know. No, it's also exhausting. Yeah, it is. <laughs> All right. Well, until we come back next week with Flight of the Phoenix. What do you hear? Nothing but the rain. Bye. See ya. You're listening to the Geekscape Network.